This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Support this podcast by joining the independent progressive media revolution today at humanistreport.com. Welcome to the Humanist Report podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 75th episode of the program. Today is December 30th, and that means this is the last episode I will be filming in 2016. Now, we've got a great show for you, but before we get started, we have to send a huge thank you to the newest members of the independent progressive media revolution. So today, we have to send a big thank you to Andy Backthon and Elizabeth Adelstein, Both of these people donated to us via PayPal. We also want to thank Sahil Habibi, a.k.a. Progressive Voice, for sending in another donation. And we want to thank Cheryl Tyler and Brian Autry. So these people decided to join the Independent Progressive Media Revolution either by donating to us via PayPal, becoming a member on HumanistReport.com, or by signing up to be Patreon patrons. Uh, And you could do that by visiting all of the links down below Or you could simply support the show by liking and sharing our videos or whitelisting us on Adblog. So today, we've got a huge show for you. First and foremost, I'll be discussing how politicians and the media worked in tandem to manipulate the public and get them to buy into the Russian election hacking narrative. Also, I'll discuss Obama's sanctions on Russia, Harry Reid's criticism of the DNC, Keith Ellison's pandering to the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party, I'll talk about how Joanne Reed bashed Bernie Sanders and who the Democratic Party's new de facto leader is. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu threw a tantrum after the UN passed the resolution condemning their settlements in Palestine. Finally, I will get to my 2016 end of the year award show. So all of these topics will be discussed. Let's go ahead and jump right in because we've got a lot to cover. President Obama has announced that he'll be imposing new sanctions on Russia over their alleged hacking into the emails of John Podesta and the DNC. Now, I think it's pretty important to note that this announcement comes after President Obama has refused to declassify the intelligence reports that apparently prove Russia did in fact hack into the emails of John Podesta and the DNC. So we're literally being asked to accept something without seeing the evidence for it. No. So The Hill explains, the Obama administration on Thursday announced an array of retaliatory measures against Russia in response to a hacking campaign geared at interfering in the U.S. presidential election. The measures include a slate of economic sanctions, diplomatic censure, and public naming and shaming. The president also hinted at possible covert cyber measures but did not provide details. The president also announced that the State Department will expel 35 Russian intelligence operatives and shutter two Russian compounds in Maryland and New York used by Russia for intelligence purposes. Now, as expected, Russia has vowed to retaliate. Now, I've said this probably a hundred times by now, but this is incredibly dangerous, especially considering the fact that President Obama will soon be handing over the keys to the White House to a madman and is basically saying, here you go, uh, we have a new Cold War with Russia, so you can deal with that. You're welcome. Now, people will say, Mike, but it doesn't matter because... Donald Trump, he doesn't want to start any shit with Russia because he has business interests in Russia and his secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, wants a specific deal to go through with Russia where he would profit handsomely from it. But Hillary Clinton also profited from Russia, but that didn't stop her from saber rattling against Russia for almost a year and a half. So the fact that Democrats of all times are choosing to 
up the ante in the Russian hysteria now when Donald Trump is about to take over, when you know how much Republicans love war and they'll be in control of all branches of government, it's just mind-boggling to me and it demonstrates that the Democratic Party establishment has lost their mind. And what's strange to me is that Democrats are so insane now that some of them are criticizing President Obama not because this would escalate tensions with Russia when we haven't seen the evidence, but because he hasn't gone far enough. So for example, Donna Brazil states, we applaud President Obama for taking these actions in response to the Russian government-sponsored cyber attacks on the DNC, the Clinton campaign, and our free and fair elections. However, more must be done, Brazil said in a statement. Today's action alone by the White House is insufficient. Now it's time for President-elect Donald Trump and the Republican leadership in Congress to put our national security before politics and show the American people that they are serious about protecting our democracy, she added. I want to reiterate what she's saying here. Donna Brazil is saying that what Obama is doing which would escalate tensions between the U.S. and Russia, she's saying that's insufficient. We need to do more. What more do you want them to do? What more should we be doing? Should we launch an attack on them? Should we bomb them, Donna? What is the end goal? I don't get it. And that's one question that I've had that hasn't been answered yet. What is the end game for Democrats with all this saber rattling against Russia? I don't know what you want. And maybe I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but Democrats are showing that they're insane. So I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if they actually sought military action against Russia because of this. And furthermore, she's saying that Donald Trump needs to prove that he is a leader now and he needs to take a stand against Russia yes because encouraging a madman who already probably wants to start wars to take a stand against a superpower with weapons of mass destruction nothing wrong with that right no problem with that encourage Donald Trump to egg on Russia smart real smart Donna and I love how all of a sudden she's worried about the integrity of our democracy when she colluded with Hillary Clinton's campaign to diminish the integrity of our democracy when she fed Hillary Clinton's campaign questions when she worked at CNN. So you were a Hillary Clinton shill and you were doing propaganda for Hillary Clinton in the media. I'm more shocked every single day the more I hear about Democrats and this frenzy over Russia and how they're just being complete and utterly reckless. I mean, Democrats are supposed to be the party of peace. Maybe it's the case that Democrats are so hellbent on proving that Russia did it so that way they can avoid the substance of what was exposed in those emails that showed they were corrupt, that showed that they rigged the primary against Bernie Sanders. Maybe uh, Hillary Clinton just simply wants to blame Russia because she can't accept that she lost because she ran a terrible campaign. Maybe it's the case that they want to escalate tensions with Russia because they could win political points. Maybe they want a new war. I don't know. I don't know what their end game is, but all I know is that it's dangerous and I want it to stop. And if you're egging on Russia and you're literally encouraging Donald Trump, who you think is dangerous, who we all know is dangerous, to escalate tensions and take action against Russia... You've just lost your ever-loving mind. Democrats are insane. So, I don't know what to say about this. It, <laughs> I don't know what to say about this. Is it the case that Russia is innocent? Well, I don't know. We haven't seen the evidence, and I'm pretty ambivalent towards Russia. I don't really care about Russia. In fact, I, I dislike Russia, of anything, because of the way that they treat homosexuals because of their human rights abuses because of their undemocratic nature of their authoritarian regime i don't like that i'm against authoritarianism so i don't like russia i have no reason to 
presume that Russia is innocent. All I'm saying, though, is one, show us the evidence, and two, if the evidence is there, just tell me what your goal is. I mean, what are we going to do? Are we going to attack Russia? What, what do Democrats want? I don't know what they want. All I know is we're setting ourselves up for a very dangerous path that has implications not just for the U.S. and Russia, but for the rest of the world. So Democrats need to get their shit together, and it's time that their constituents, so-called liberals, wake up and actually put pressure on Democrats to fight for the people and stop saber-rattling against Russia. With the announcement that the Obama administration would be imposing sanctions on Russia over their alleged hacking into the emails of the DNC and John Podesta, well, many Americans don't necessarily seem too scared about the prospect of a new Cold War with Russia. Contrarily, many of them are actually cheerleading Obama's decision to escalate tensions with Russia. Now, I have no idea if Russia did in fact hack into those emails because we can't see the evidence. That's classified information. But what I do know is that there's contradictory evidence that we can see that suggests that the DNC emails were given to WikiLeaks by a DNC insider not Vladimir Putin, and we also know that John Podesta's emails were potentially exposed when he fell victim to a phishing scam, but we're being asked to believe that Russia did it because multiple government agencies are telling us that that's what we're supposed to believe. You know, the same way that they told us to believe that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction because that didn't really lead to anything harmful at all, now did it? But in the end, I find this entire debacle incredibly problematic because one, well, Saber-rattling against Russia is very dangerous, and I don't want a new Cold War, nor do I want a new World War with Russia. And second of all, it illustrates that the American people, including liberals who are supposed to be the more rational, the more reasonable ones, and the more skeptical ones of government actions, well, they're willing to believe anything that the government tells them. And it really shows how the American people can be manipulated very easily. When you see exactly how the government and the media worked in tandem to convince people that Russia did in fact hack into the emails of John Podesta and the DNC. So first of all, when you want the American people to believe something without showing them the evidence, first, all you gotta do is repeat something over and over and over and over again. Case in point. Because we have ample evidence, we've been the victim of a cybercrime, we have ample evidence, we have ample evidence. The Democratic National Committee, uh, as Secretary Clinton alluded to tonight, was a victim of a cybercrime. Uh, that the Democratic Party was a victim of a cybercrime. A uh, Russian uh, hacker. The Russians. The Russians. Well, the Russians. Right. By the Russians. Because the Russians. The Russians. The Russian government. The Russians illegally stole these emails. But you see, simply saying over and over again that Russia hacked into the emails of John Podesta and the DNC, that doesn't really distract people from the substance of what was found in those emails. So what you got to do then is up the ante and muddy the waters a little bit. Vladimir Putin himself directed the covert cyber attacks against our electoral system, against our democracy. See, now we have a story with that type of rhetoric because it directly implicates Vladimir Putin in not just the hacking of these emails now, but in the hacking of, quote, our electoral system. Covert cyber attacks against our electoral system. And now this will encourage the media to actually cover it because you can now create headlines that suggest Russia actually hacked the election. And this obviously will grab the attention of more people 
and lead to media outlets making more and more money based on this sensationalism. And it's certainly a better story than simply claiming that Russia hacked into the emails. If you say Russia hacked the election, well, now people are going to pay attention. So the politicians now, they can shut up about it because the media is going to take over and cover this nonstop for them to make sure that people buy into it. So, for example, the article on the front page of Politico reads, White House sanctions Russia over election hacks. They're not saying over them hacking into the emails of the DNC and John Podesta. They're saying that the White House sanctions Russia over election hacks. Hacking into the emails and hacking into the election are two very different things. Now, also, the New York Times uses the words election hacking, as does The Verge and CNBC, and we've become so far removed now from the original claim that Russia simply hacked into the emails of the DNC and John Podesta, and we've become so over the top in our rhetoric that the American people will become alarmed by it and hopefully believe it, and they did. And it's funny because now people are starting to talk about it because when you say Russia hacked the election, well, that's incredibly problematic, but if you simply say Russia hacked into the emails of the DNC, and John Podesta, well, you know, that's that's troublesome, but that's not as bad as them just straight up hacking the election. And soon enough, the topic starts trending on Twitter, and now 50% of Democrats actually believe that Russia literally tampered with the vote tallies to help Donald Trump win. And now I have people in my own family asking me, Mike, what's going on? I mean, you know about politics, you follow this stuff. Why did Russia hack the election and why aren't we doing anything about it? Why aren't we attacking them? This is incredibly troubling. This is incredibly troubling. I can't say that enough. I know I sound like a broken record already, but this is very scary. Russia did not hack the election. If anything, Russia hacked into the emails of the DNC and John Podesta, but we can't even confirm that because we don't have the evidence. And now, since people just believe that Russia straight up hacked into the election, which implies that they hacked voting booths, well, people who actually step back and question this narrative, like Glenn Greenwald or myself, we're labeled as traitors now because if we don't buy into the narrative that Russia hacked the election and we don't care that Russia hacked the election, then obviously we're Kremlin shills, right? Well, no, Russia did not hack the election. If anything, the only thing that you can prove is that Russia hacked into the emails of John Podesta and the DNC and the extent to which that actually had an impact on the on the election is dubious. We can't prove that it cost Hillary Clinton the election. I would argue that Hillary Clinton lost because she ran a terrible campaign and she didn't campaign in the Rust Belt, hence why she lost in the Rust Belt states. However, we are supposed to buy into the narrative that Russia hacked the election, and if you even question it, you're a traitor. So, for example, in a video where I called out Keith Olbermann for his sensationalist bullshit claim that we're at war with Russia, which we're not, I had some commenters suggest that I was either stupid because his rant went way over my head, and some even accused me of being a right-winger masquerading as a socialist, or someone from the alt-right, or a Russian attack denier even, and I've even been accused of being a Trump shill that is trying to trick people into sympathizing with the white nationalist movement. Now, I've also been called a Nazi, and now I'm suspect because I apparently have a, quote, terrorist beard. Yes, because nothing screams liberal to me more than accusing someone of being a terrorist because they have a beard. Unbelievable. Now, these are all comments that have come from so-called liberals, my fellow liberals. Now, I don't necessarily care about their comments to me because I have thick skin, but I'm embarrassed at the fact that so many liberals are willing to 
accept something from the government, but not even question it. They've become so detached from reality that they're willing to buy into Cold War era red baiting McCarthyism again. It's just ridiculous. And if you're buying into this hysteria and don't even have a shred of skepticism in you, then you need to wake the fuck up. Because if it is the case that Russia hacked into the emails of the DNC and John Podesta, then President Obama should act to immediately declassify the intelligence that shows beyond a shadow of a doubt that proves that Vladimir Putin did in fact do it. But the fact that we don't have the evidence in front of us and so many liberals are willing to believe it nonetheless and not even just maybe question it, that's a big problem. I mean, for once, just think for yourself and question whether or not this is a distraction from the substance of what was revealed in those emails, regardless of who leaked them to WikiLeaks. It exposed overt corruption with Hillary Clinton. It exposed how the DNC tried to sabotage Bernie Sanders at the behest of Hillary Clinton. That's unacceptable, and what that reveals is incredibly problematic, but this distraction from what was in those emails is what we're supposed to be talking about, and nobody even wants to question now whether or not Russia is guilty. How about this? If they're guilty, show us the evidence. Me simply saying those words doesn't make me a traitor. It doesn't make me a Russian shill. That just makes me reasonable, and I don't think, regardless of who's responsible for leaking these emails, that starting a new Cold War or potentially World War Three is worthwhile, also that way Hillary Clinton can have a distraction from her overt corruption. And I'm sorry, but it's time that liberals actually be liberal. We raise our standard of scrutiny for things. We don't just accept what the government tells us, especially after Iraq. After Iraq, after the hundreds of thousands of lives that were cost, I'm never going to just accept anything the government tells me. Again, I'm going to question it. And when we can't see the evidence, if that information is classified, then I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept that Russia hacked into the emails of the DNC or John Podesta, and I'm certainly not going to accept that Russia hacked the election, and anyone who says that needs to cut it out because they did not hack the election. There's no evidence that Russia tampered with voting booths, and the fact that 50% of liberals now buy into that narrative is not just scary, but it's frustrating because I thought liberals were better than this, but apparently I was wrong. I take the threat very seriously. I take the fact that he develops weapons of mass destruction very seriously. History has called us into action, that we love freedom, that we'll be deliberate, patient, and strong in the values that we adhere to. But we can't let the world's worst leaders blackmail, threaten, hold freedom-loving nations hostage with the world's worst weapons. So we had a really interesting panel discussion on Meet the Press where they discussed struggles the Democratic Party would encounter in 2017. And among those people was Joanne Reed, who took the opportunity to bash Bernie Sanders rather than offer any constructive feedback on where the party should go. Who is the Democratic Party? They have to find an identity and they've got to find somebody to rally behind. And I think Costa's right. Is it Bernie Sanders or is it a new face that we haven't yet seen? And I don't think it can be Bernie Sanders because, as we all know, he's not a Democrat. And so I think you're going to have a lot of Democrats. <laughs> Donald Trump's not really a Republican. That is a good point. But I think because he didn't actually join formally the party, it's 
going to be difficult for him uh, to, to exert leadership because much of the party will resist that. I think that the Democrats are scrambling for a message, for a leader, uh, for an identity. And I think that at the moment, they do not appear to be well equipped to deal with Donald Trump or Trumpism. They're going to need to get it together very quickly. This was my response when I heard her say that. So this is tone deaf for multiple reasons. I don't think you realize this, Joanne, but if you exclude liberals who don't identify with the Democratic Party label but who are still liberal, you prevent the party from growing. I mean, the way that you win elections is you expand the voting base of the Democratic Party. You become more popular. You appeal to more people. But by saying, well, if you're an independent, if you're not a true Democrat, then you can't be with our cool kids club. You exclude people and you lose elections. That's stupid. That's strategically idiotic. And second of all, if you actually want to win elections for once, you need to open the doors to all types of liberals and appeal to all of them. If you're only going to gauge who can be the new leader of the Democratic Party based on their loyalty to the party, then you're going to continue to lose. And you're not acknowledging that many progressives and independents don't identify with the party because the party is the one who hasn't been loyal to progressive values, not the other way around. Like for me, I would love to support the Democratic Party. Of course, I want to caucus with one of two major political parties in the country, but my principles and political values stay the same. That is a constant variable. It's the Democratic Party who changed. It's the Democratic Party who hasn't been loyal to progressive values. That's why I left the party and became an independent. So you can't just sit here and accuse people of not being loyal to the party, which is what you're implicitly trying to do, if it's the party that has abandoned voters and has grown to be more corporatist over the years and only look out for their donors. Now, second of all, the problem with this is we already know the consequences of what will happen if you exclude independents and people who don't identify as Democrats. This means that Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. During the primaries, Democrats literally celebrated closed primaries because independents were more likely to vote for Bernie Sanders. And during the general election, that bit them in the ass because many of those independents that would have voted for Bernie ended up voting for Donald Trump. So when you exclude independents, they go elsewhere. They're not going to remain loyal to the party that spits in their face every single time they have the opportunity to do so you can't say oh well if you're not a true democrat then uh if you're if you're an independent and you're not registered in our party you can't be part of our party that's just that's stupid there's no strategy to that think about this only about 30 percent of the country identifies as democrat that's the percentage of people that are actually registered as democrat the two-party duopoly is it's got to go. People are frustrated with it. So you can't be angry at people for not being loyal to the party. Now, finally, the main problem I have with this argument is it's just childish. It's stupid. It reminds me of like kindergartners who are like, you can't be part of my club if you don't have a sticker on your hand. Like, it's just so childish. Like, I, I don't get the logic. I don't get the reasoning. Look, if you're progressive, I don't give a shit who you are. If you're a registered Republican, an independent, a libertarian, as long as you're progressive and you believe in the same values that I do, universal health care, universal college tuition, a minimum wage that's $15, if not higher, then... I'm cool with you. We can be on the same team. It doesn't matter who you are, uh, where you're from, or what you did. As long as you love me, I'm getting into Backstreet Boys song.
<laughs> All I'm saying is <laughs> this this whole nonsense about Democratic Party loyalty. The people who you need, who are the most vocal and who are among the grassroots ranks, those people are not going to be loyal to a party that's not loyal to them. So if you want people to be true Democrats, then the party actually needs to change and be true progressives. But the fact that, you know, Bernie's not a true Democrat, so he can't lead the party, that's nonsense. Bernie Sanders is the new de facto leader of the Democratic Party, regardless if you like it or not. Bernie Sanders is spearheading causes to fight to save the Affordable Care Act. And guess what? Democratic Party leaders are lining up behind him. So if you don't like the fact that Bernie Sanders is the new leader, tough shit because he is. And Hillary Clinton lost. Her wing of the party, they're defeated. So now it's time to give progressives a chance to actually fight. And we're going to have a harder time on our hands than you had because now we have to clean up the mess that Donald Trump's make. Trump makes on top of it. So look, here's, here's the main takeaway. Joanne Reed is incredibly wrong, and this is a tone-deaf reason as to why Bernie Sanders can't be the leader of the party. Don't exclude independence. We already learned it. It'll bite you in the ass. Don't do it again. Learn your lesson, Joanne. Even though members of the Democratic Party establishment have remained defiant and have tried to resist calls for change from their own voters, even though many people don't like the idea of a progressive independent leading the Democratic Party. I'm looking at you, Joanne Reed. Regardless if you like it or not, Bernie Sanders is emerging as the new de facto leader of the Democratic Party. And this is demonstrated in multiple ways. But one way that really stands out to me is how he's leading the resistance against Trump and the Republicans' effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So according to the Chicago Tribune, Democratic congressional leaders and Senator Bernie Sanders have called for a January 15th day of action to oppose any cuts to health care plans or subsidies from the incoming Trump administration, the latest example of the Vermont senator pushing his briefly adopted party toward more activism. Millions of Americans voted for Donald Trump after he promised not to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, writes Sanders, Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer, and New York and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi in the letter sent to colleagues in Congress. He must be held to his promises and should veto any legislation which cuts these vital and necessary health programs. The letter calls for Democrats in Congress to help organize rallies around the country and attempt to bracket what will come the following day, a ramp up to Trump's inauguration and to Republicans calling for him to end the Affordable Care Act. Now, although other Democrats are also taking credit for this, well, to me, I think Bernie Sanders is the one who should receive all the credit because this sounds incredibly familiar to a strategy that he proposed during the primaries. If we are serious about rebuilding the American middle class, if we are serious about providing paid family and medical leave to all of our people, if we are serious about ending the disgrace of having so many of our children live in poverty, the real way to do it is to have millions of Americans finally stand up and say enough is enough for people to get engaged in the political process to finally demand that Washington represent all of us 
not just a handful of very wealthy people. That's the way you bring about real change. Now, if you want more reasons to believe that progressives are taking over the Democratic Party, well, this is demonstrated in Representative Raul Grijalva's explanation as to how him and other progressives now have a newfangled credibility among their peers. The Guardian explains, indeed, some Sanders progressives now see Trump's victory as a validation of the populist agenda Sanders championed during his campaign. Progressives are used to punching up, but here we find ourselves in a real position of credibility and power, said Raul Grijalva of Arizona, a co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So, the takeaway is that there's a real leader who emerged after this election, and that individual is not Barack Obama, because if anything, he's helped to further damage the credibility of the Democratic Party. That person is not Hillary Clinton, because even though she claimed uh, before the election was over that if she lost, she would help to fight Donald Trump and she'd mobilize voters to uh, combat any of his more harmful policies, well, she's just kind of sitting back now and not doing anything. Uh, and that person also is not Tim Kaine, who many in the establishment are looking to as a new leader. The leader of the Democratic Party is very clear. That person is Bernie Sanders, and if you don't like it, then uh, I don't know what to tell you. After being decimated by an easily beatable buffoon like Donald Trump, the Hillary Clinton wing of the party should be begging Bernie Sanders and his supporters for their assistance after we were snubbed during the primaries, they gave us the middle finger, and now they should be kissing our asses. So the fact that we're even dealing with the Democratic Party, they should be thankful. So now it's our turn. Allow us to come in and try to repair what you've destroyed, which is the party that used to be for the working class, and it's only for their donors now. So allow progressives to actually, you know what? Don't allow us to do anything. You don't have to allow us. We're taking over regardless if you want us to or not because it, as progressives, we have to do what's right. And if we don't drag the Democratic Party to the left and the way that the Tea Party dragged Republicans to the right and basically purged all moderates from the party, if we can't do that, then we will not be successful. So either you can help us or you can get out of the way. But progressives are taking over. And if you don't like that, tough. Keith Ellison certainly isn't a perfect candidate when it comes to the DNC chair race, but when you look at all of the other options available to us, well, for progressives, there's no question, Keith Ellison is the best chance we have at potentially reforming the Democratic Party. Now, the thing about Keith Ellison is that the establishment has made it very clear that they want nothing to do with him, so Keith Ellison depends on the support of progressives in order for him to be elected, because if we don't put pressure on the party, they're going to go with someone like Tom Perez, who is in favor of the TPP, who is from the Hillary Clinton wing of the party, which has led us to a Donald Trump presidency. So I think it's time that we go in a new progressive direction. But the point I'm trying to make is that Keith Ellison depends on our support, on the support of progressives, in order to be successful in his bid to be the next DNC chair. So you would think that he would be extra cautious about trying to cater to the needs of progressives. I mean, he's spoken about wanting to unify the party. He knows it's divided. But at the same time, you need to be very careful in what you say to progressives. And unfortunately, he released a tweet that severely damaged his credibility among progressives. So he tweeted out an article titled, If you're liberal and you think Clinton is corrupt, you're rewarding 25 years of GOP smears. No, Keith, that's incredibly wrong. And there's two reasons why I take issue with this. First of all, um, 
the fact that Hillary Clinton is corrupt is undeniable. If you disagree with that, you're disagreeing with reality. And of course, there's a spectrum. You have less corrupt to corrupt people, very corrupt people. Hillary Clinton is at the far end of that spectrum. She's basically as corrupt as you can possibly be in Washington without being prosecuted for it. So to say that Hillary Clinton is not corrupt, you're just denying reality. You're trying to stick your head in the sand and you don't want to acknowledge a severe problem that the Democratic Party has, and that is that they are corrupt, they only do the bidding of their donors, they ignore the grassroots portion of the party, and so by saying that Hillary Clinton is not corrupt, that's bad. But second of all, you're actually insulting progressives because you're scolding us, and you're basically implying that we don't do our own research, and that we can't think for ourselves, and that we're buying into right-wing propaganda. Doesn't this sound like Something else I heard before? I, I feel sorry sometimes for the young people who, you know, believe this. Right. Uh, they don't do their own research. Oh, that's right. That sounds like something Hillary Clinton said to us. And we did not like Hillary Clinton because she was condescending and talked down to us. So with all due respect to Keith Ellison, you're completely wrong here. And I would tread very lightly when trying to scold progressives about Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton is emblematic of everything that's wrong with the Democratic Party. So if you can't see the problems that we have with Hillary Clinton, then how are you going to prove to progressives who are already skeptical about you that you're the right DNC chair for them? How are you going to reassure us that in spite of very harmful foreign policy positions you have, like your Syrian no-fly zone and your support for Obama's intervention in Libya, how can you reassure us that you're the right choice? I mean, I'm doing everything I can to make the case for you. I'm defending you against arbitrary smears and character assassination attempts from the Democratic Party establishment. Don't spit in my face while I'm doing that, Keith. I'm trying to help you out here. Now help me out. All the problems that we have with Democrats, we have with Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton embodies that. I mean, she did the bidding of Clinton Foundation donors while she was Secretary of State. We don't like that. That's corruption, Keith. She took money from special interests and then changed her position as a result of accepting those contributions. Case in point, she was in favor of a single-payer healthcare system, and I loved Hillary Clinton back then, but... She took money from the health insurance industry and then changed her position. Elizabeth Warren famously spoke about how she switched her position on a bankruptcy bill she was formerly against after she took money from the big banks. And furthermore, she took money from Goldman Sachs and big banks and did speeches for them where she was paid $225,000 per hour and she absolutely refused to release the transcripts for those. These are all very huge red flags that tell us she wasn't going to do the bidding of Democratic Party voters. She was going to do what her donors wanted. This is all corruption, Keith. So if you are basically belittling what we care deeply about, which is money in politics, which is corruption, which is legalized bribe bribery, and you're telling us that we're just buying into right-wing propaganda, then that's, that's honestly just insulting. I find that incredibly insulting, Keith, because Republicans, the reason why I don't like Republicans is because they sold out to special interests. They're just straight up shills for the industry. Hillary Clinton is as corrupt as many Republicans, hence why I don't like her, hence why I didn't vote for her. So if you're going to honestly try to convince progressives, the people who pay attention to politics the most, that Hillary Clinton, who is someone who's representative of everything wrong with money and politics and the corrupt Washington political establishment, if she's not corrupt, if you're going to honestly try to convince us of that, 
wow, I don't know what to say. You're out of touch. You're more out of touch than I would have hoped for. So here's the thing, Keith. I still support you reluctantly to be the DNC chair because honestly, you're the best that we can get. And I still do love your take on domestic policy. I like that you're trying to unify the party. I get that. But at the same time, notice that if you will be the DNC chair, it will be because of the weight of the progressive movement and us throwing our support behind you. Don't put that in jeopardy by trying to appeal to people who don't want anything to do with you. Senator Harry Reid will soon be retiring from Congress and Chuck Schumer will take his place as Senate Minority Leader. And after decades of blind loyalty to the Democratic Party, Harry Reid has finally decided to grow a spine and is leaving guns blazing and is calling out the DNC. I believe one of the failures of the Democratic Party has been the Democratic National Committee. The DNC has been worthless, Reid told Nevada Public Radio in an interview published Wednesday. They do nothing to help state parties. That should be the main goal they have. I developed everything in Nevada on my own. Their help was relatively meaningless. Reid said he hopes the DNC picks a chair who is full-time, unlike that congresswoman from Florida refusing to say the name of Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz. We need a full-time DNC chair and what they should do, they can take my model if they want. It's not rocket science. It doesn't take a lot of brain power to figure out what needs to be done, Reid said. They should take a few states every election cycle, maybe three, maybe four, and help them develop the infrastructure for good state party organization. Alright, that wasn't too bad. He's basically calling out Debbie Wasserman Schultz without saying her name, uh, but part of his rant is tone deaf. So even though I liked what he was doing, I liked that he called out Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I think his rant was tone deaf in that he thinks Debbie Wasserman Schultz was unsuccessful as the chair of the DNC because she wasn't full-time. She was corrupt. She decided to shift the Democratic Party from the party of the people when they weren't really even that to begin with. But what little progressivism that they had left, she killed it. And she made the Democratic Party the party of the Democratic donors. And that is why she was unsuccessful. And as you know, under the tenure of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrats lost the House the Senate, the White House, they now do not hold a majority of governorships, and most state legislatures around the country are controlled by Republicans. So the party has been decimated under the control of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and this is because centrism does not work. So when you look at the types of candidates that the DNC promotes and who they try to rig primaries against, so for example, you had the DNC try to rig the race between Alex Law and Donald Norcross. Uh, he was a progressive. Donald Norcross was someone who literally accepted campaign contributions from Donald Trump and voted with Republicans more than any other representative from New Jersey. And they tried to rig it against the real progressive, who was Alex Law. You had Debbie Wasserman Schultz try to rig her own race against Tim Canova, and she banned his access to Van, all because she says that, well, this is what we have to do to protect Democratic incumbents from these grassroots challengers. That's called corruption, Debbie. You can't do that. And then, of course, we all know what happened with the primary. Do I have to go over it again? I think I want to go over it again. She... <laughs> I'm not over it, guys. I'm sorry. She literally made it so that way they only did six debates. And then anyone who tried to participate in a non-DNC sanctioned debates would have been banned from participating in future DNC sponsored debates. She moved primaries up on the schedule of red states so that way Hillary Clinton would garner an early lead. 
we had uh, superdelegates that she applauded, and she said they were kind of the failsafe for the party against the grassroots portion of the party, because that's not bad at all. Uh, she was happy about closed primaries, because, you know, there's no way to grow the party more than shutting out independence. That's not even all of it. I'm barely scratching the surface. Debbie Wasserman Schultz was corrupt. Donna Brazil is corrupt. The reason why they were unsuccessful is because... They are in favor of corporatism. They're in favor of promoting centrist candidates. They were biased. So I, I am frustrated that Harry Reid, he can't diagnose the problem to its full extent, but at least he knows that there is a problem. And I think that's better than most Democrats. And what's, what's sad to me is that he didn't say this before. Why are you only saying this now? I mean, this is the problem with Democrats. They're complete and utterly spineless. You have President Obama finally condemning Israel uh, now that he's leaving. You have Harry Reid finally calling out the DNC for the worthless institution that it really is now that he's leaving. How about this? Why don't you guys grow a spine and actually speak out against things that progressives want you to speak out on? While you're still in office. That's the problem with Democrats. Obama now talks about how, oh, we need to legalize marijuana. Right, if only there was something that you could have done as president to legalize marijuana. I mean, this is basically the Democratic Party's way. So even though I'm giving Harry Reid credit, I'm kind of taking it back in a way, right? Because... I mean, where were you a few months ago when progressives were crying out about the corruption at the DNC? We said that they were worthless years ago, and you ignored us. So, I mean, I just wish that Democrats would get their shit together and grow a spine and actually just be truthful. That's all we're asking. Be truthful. If you want to be the party of corporations, that's great. Don't parade around as progressives when we know that you're only going to do the bidding of donors. If you feel something, if you feel as though the DNC is worthless, then speak out. We were all saying it. We just wanted to hear someone from the party say it too. So, you know, we can give Harry Reid credit where credit is due, but I mean, nonetheless, this is too little too late. You should have spoken out months ago, but in the end, I am glad that he's choosing to go out guns blazing and actually call out the DNC and call out Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, but unfortunately, it means nothing now because you're gone. So <laughs> if any Democrat is in the party, you know, if you want to grow a spine, now would be the time to do so because I don't know if you know this, but Donald Trump will be the president. Don't wait until you leave. Don't wait until you have a month left or a week left of your term. Just do it now. Stop being cowards. So there's a ton of legitimate criticisms that I have against Hillary Clinton. I mean, she's too cozy with Wall Street. Uh, she's too hawkish. Uh, I think that she does too many favors for her donors. I don't like that the Clinton Foundation influenced her decisions while she was Secretary of State. However, there are some criticisms of Hillary Clinton that are so complete and utterly idiotic that I'm compelled to defend Hillary Clinton, even though I don't want to defend Hillary Clinton and I dislike Hillary Clinton. That is Pizzagate. Now, this is something that I didn't ever think I'd have to cover because it's so stupid that it borders on satirical and I thought that it would just fade into obscurity. But unfortunately, this is a lie that has prevailed for so long. Now, many people believe it to be true. So according to New York Daily News, nearly half of all Donald Trump voters believe a widely debunked conspiracy theory claiming that Hillary Clinton is involved in a child sex ring run out of a popular Washington, D.C. pizzeria, a recent poll suggests. 
The Economist slash YouGov poll released Tuesday shows that a staggering 46% of Trump voters believe so-called Pizzagate conspiracy, which began circulating on obscure sites like 4chan and Reddit ahead of Election Day before spurring controversy on Twitter and Facebook. So uh, when it comes to the evidence for this... Nowhere. Zero. Now, this is something that, uh, you know, it's it's not only harmful because it's factually inaccurate and it's not founded in reality, but it's harmful because it has real-world consequences. Concerns over the dangerous impact of fake news were heightened after Edgar Welch, 28, of Salisbury, North Carolina, stormed into the Italian restaurant at the center of the baseless conspiracy with a loaded assault rifle on December 4th in order to self-investigate. Welch fired several shots inside the pizzeria, but didn't strike anyone and was subsequently arrested without incident. He later claimed he regretted the way he handled the situation, noting that his intel on this wasn't 100%. No shit. You don't say. So, the fact that this is a story that gained any traction is absurd to me, and the fact that 46% of Donald Trump voters believe it? That sounds kind of... Dum, 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 dum. This comes from a proportion of the American electorate that voted for a candidate that is accused of raping a 13-year-old girl that was exposed as saying that he just grabs women by the genitals and he doesn't even wait. That's called rape. You know that, right? That's sexual assault. But you, you believe that <laughs> the person that you voted for, you know... Uh, He's okay. The person who I'm going to worry about uh, with a pedophilia dilemma is not the person accused of raping a 13-year-old girl. You are really dumb. For real. This is absolutely absurd. And if you don't like Hillary Clinton, you should probably stop talking about Pizzagate because this just feeds into the narrative that fake news cost her the election. I don't believe this cost her the election at all. I think she lost because she ran a terrible campaign. She split the party. She didn't campaign in Wisconsin and she lost there. I don't think this cost her the election, but... Fake news is still fake news. Uh, false information is still false information. And I wouldn't be surprised if many Donald Trump voters based their decision on this. Not enough to cost Hillary Clinton the election, no. But still a significant portion. Even I think two people is too much. So, yeah. Pizzagate, guys, it's bullshit. Please don't believe it. Hillary Clinton is not a pedophile. <laughs> and I shouldn't have to come out and say this. But the fact that I do shows how they'll just believe anything. I mean, come on. So I've probably asserted about a thousand times or so that members of the Democratic Party establishment are complete and utterly out of touch. But I think it's time that we acknowledge just how out of touch some of the Democratic Party's most loyal voters are. So there is a new headline from Politico, and a lot of people had a response that was different from mine. So it reads, poll, 62% of Democrats and independents don't want Clinton to run again. So I mean, it's good that a majority don't want Hillary Clinton to run for a third time and inevitably lose a third time. And the same poll finds that most people want Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden to run in 2020. So this is a good sign to me, kind of. But, I mean, this is still troubling because according to the same poll, 23% of voters would be excited if Hillary Clinton actually decided to run again. 
that's one in four people. I mean, that's still a minority, but one in four registered Democrats, that means 38% of Democrats and independents in total are just okay with her running again, and 23% of those people are actually enthusiastic about the idea of her running again. That's still a lot of people. So many people were relieved, and rightfully so, that, uh, you know, most people do not want Hillary Clinton to run again, uh, but... I still find this troubling that that many people, 38% would be okay with her running and 23% would be enthusiastic about her running again. I mean, how many times does she have to lose? You're done. <laughs> Politics just isn't for you. And I get that you were a senator from New York. Uh, I get that you were secretary of state. You were first lady. You had a good run. Retire. I mean, Jesus Christ. How many times does she have to get beat? And look, if she were to run again, of course she would lose, but would they consider whether or not she should run a fourth time and think that was a good idea? I mean, how much would the needle move is what I'm curious, because if you already lose twice, you're damaged goods. I mean, coming into this election, Hillary Clinton was beat by a no-name senator named Barack Obama. Nobody knew who he was. He was a newcomer. He was in his first term, and she lost to him. I mean, <laughs> how many times... Do you have to be viewed as inevitable and then have that dream get crushed until you wake up and realize you're not inevitable, you're never going to be president? I mean, <laughs> I really, really hope that, you know, Democratic voters wake up and realize that the Hillary Clinton wing of the party, they're the death of the party. I mean, Hillary Clinton, she damaged the left, she split the party, and she won a primary illegitimately. So even if she were to be elected president, she got there unfairly. I mean, she she colluded with the DNC to limit debates and sabotage Bernie Sanders. So if you do all that and you still can't win, I don't know what to say. You have the entire political establishment on your side. You have the entire media establishment on your side, and many of them shilling for you, doing propaganda for you, and you still lose. It's over. I mean, it's over. I shouldn't have to say this. I, this should be common sense. Hillary Clinton will never be president. Get used to it. In a 14-0 vote, the UN recently passed a resolution declaring that Israel, quote, immediately and completely cease all settlement activities in the occupied Palestinian territory, including East Jerusalem, and also states that there is, quote, no legal validity to these settlements and they constitute a flagrant violation under international law. Now, because of this non-binding resolution that doesn't actually have any way to tie Israel's hands, well, nonetheless, a shitstorm ensued and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has thrown a tizzy fit over this. So, according to Vox, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the Obama administration secretly colluded with Jerusalem's adversaries on a United Nations Security Council resolution criticizing Israeli settlements. For good measure, Netanyahu has also likened Obama to former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, whom he pointedly derided as hostile to Israel. Now, The Hill explains that Netanyahu also stated, Over decades, American administrations and Israeli governments have disagreed about settlements, but we agreed that the Security Council was not the place to resolve this issue, Netanyahu said in English at his weekly cabinet meeting in Jerusalem, according to CBS News. As I told Secretary of State John Kerry on Thursday, friends don't take friends to the Security Council. Now, in addition to just 
outright throwing a temper tantrum like a child, he has taken measures to limit diplomatic ties between several countries, and he's recently announced even more settlements. Now, what's funny is that when the Israeli Minister of Education was asked about these settlements, he basically played dumb. Is Israel not isolating itself from the rest of the world by not taking the message that people think that these settlements are a true impediment to peace? Uh, you just said twice the term settlements. You know, we're not occupying any land. One cannot occupy his own home. This city behind me is Jerusalem. It's been our capital for 3,000 years, way before the idea London that, was the British capital, and way before Washington, D.C. was the American capital. These are not settlements. We've got about 650,000 Israelis living in Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria. Big cities. You know, one might imagine a small tent on a hill. That's not what we're talking about. We've been here for thousands of years. We're staying here. We're going to live side by side in peace with the Arabs here but not by forcing our hand and not by a, a Security Council decision that's giving backwind to the worst terrorists in the world because they say here the only free democracy Minister fighting Bennett, terror is being thrown under the bus. You're proving my point because you're even disputing the idea that it's occupied territory or settlements. The entire international community with the exception of the Netanyahu government thinks it is. But I, absolutely I'm disputing that. How long have you, have Americans been living in America? How long have Americans been living hundred, in America? Yeah. That's correct, a few hundred years. How long have Jews been living in the Holy Land? 4,000 years. So how dare anyone call the land of Israel occupied territory? Now also, John Kerry, Secretary of State, currently released a statement uh, basically condemning Israel, and then he responded to several points that John Kerry made. Take a look. Despite our best efforts over the years, the two-state solution is now in serious jeopardy. If the choice is one state, Israel can either be Jewish or democratic, it cannot be both, and it won't ever really be at peace. Israelis do not need to be lectured about the importance of peace by foreign leaders. Israel's hand has been extended in peace to its neighbors from day one. The vote in the United Nations was about preserving the two-state solution. That's what we were standing up for. This conflict is not about houses or communities in the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, the Gaza district, or anywhere else. This conflict is and has always been, about Israel's very right to exist. President Obama and I know that the incoming administration has signaled that they may take a different path, and even suggested breaking from the long-standing U.S. policies on settlements, Jerusalem, and the possibility of a two-state solution. That is for them to decide. That's how we work. But we cannot, in good conscience, do nothing. Israel looks forward to working with President-elect Trump and with the American Congress, Democrats and Republicans alike, to mitigate the damage that this resolution has done and ultimately to repeal it. We also strongly reject the notion that somehow the United States was the driving force behind this resolution. The Egyptians and Palestinians had long made clear to all of us, to all of the international community, 
their intention to bring a resolution to a vote before the end of the year. We have it on absolutely incontestable evidence that the United States organized, advanced, and brought this resolution to the United Nations Security Council. We'll share that information with the incoming administration. Some of it is sensitive. It's all true. So needless to say, um, this is only going to strengthen the BDS movement, which they desperately don't want. But I don't see there being any other way to prevent Israel from violating international law and committing more war crimes. I mean, you have Gaza, which is basically the largest prison in the world, and you have the entirety of the international community condemning them, and they've gone rogue. They're a rogue state. Israel is a rogue state. So, I mean, you can throw your tantrum, Benjamin and Yahoo, but the illegal nature of those settlements that you continue to build, the war crimes that you commit in Gaza... Well, guess what? You can do that. You can try to deny it. But the international community is against you. And the United States might be your ally. But just know that around the world, you are making a lot of enemies, not because you're the sole democracy, not because you stand up for democracy in a hostile area to democracy, but because what you're doing is wrong. Actions have consequences. And if you truly want peace, you'd stop building these settlements. You'd stop the illegal occupation. But unfortunately, Israel doesn't want peace because this is the way that the Likud party and Benjamin Netanyahu maintains power. They scare people into uh, fearing Palestinians. And they say, look, you need someone who's going to be a strong leader to protect us. So you have to vote for us. And that's exactly what Republicans do as well. Well, it sucks for the progressives and the liberals in Israel right now because they're unfortunately dealing with a government who's complete and utterly rogue. And just how I'm against my own government doing legal things like their drone wars in Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, Syria, Afghanistan. I'm against the illegal actions of other governments too. So, you know, you could throw your temper tantrum, Netanyahu, but too bad. Just be lucky that this isn't actually a binding resolution and that the U.S. didn't vote in favor of it too. And one last thing I'll say about this is if you don't think that the United States has been a good enough ally to you, even though we've allowed your war crimes and your illegal occupation to continue for decades, well then uh, we will gladly accept the $38 billion in aid that we gave to you and that we give to you every single year. How about you give that back to us and give us a little refund if you want to talk shit? So unless you're going to stop accepting aid from us, you have no room to talk because your occupation is illegal. You are occupying territory that does not belong to you. So uh, give us back our money if you want to talk shit, buddy. So last week, I reported that Newt Gingrich was instructed by President-elect Donald Trump to refrain from using the drain the swamp rhetoric. Specifically, Gingrich stated that he was told Trump now says the phrase was cute, but he doesn't want to use it anymore. Hmm, I wonder why. Gingrich, who has been a close advisor to Trump, said he likes drain the swamp because it vividly illustrates the problem because all people in this city who are all alligators are going to hate the swamp being drained. But, you know, he is my leader and if he decides to drop the swamp and the alligator, I will drop the swamp and the alligator, he says. Now, of course, that didn't make Donald Trump look very good because it appears as though Donald Trump is a hypocrite because at first he was saying drain the swamp and all of a sudden, once he's elected, he's not so keen on the idea of draining the swamp, clearly because he is as swampy as the swamp was before, if not more. Now, where Gingrich messed up was that Donald Trump said that to him 
Probably because he just wanted him to stop using the rhetoric. He didn't want Gingrich to go out there and actually say, Donald Trump doesn't want me to talk about draining the swamp, because that makes Donald Trump look bad. So, like a good little bitch boy, Newt Gingrich made this apology video. I want to report that I made a big boo-boo. I talked this morning with President-elect Donald Trump, and he reminded me. He likes draining the swamp. I mischaracterized it the other day. He intends to drain the swamp. Uh, he even describes it as DTS. Um, he thinks uh, taking on Boeing uh, and the price is an example of draining the swamp. Uh, and so I want all of you to know, I goofed. Draining the swamp is in. The alligators should be worried. Uh, and you'll hear me write more about alligators and the swamp. Uh, but I wanted, I thought I owed it to all of uh, the folks who follow me that when I make a mistake, I'm going to be straightforward and tell you, I blew that one. Draining the swamp is in. President-elect Trump wants to do it, and you're going to get to be part of it. That was just so sad, Newt. Come on. <laughs> Where's your dignity? I mean, do you not have any sense of pride? I mean, that was so embarrassing. So, <laughs> you basically expose something that Donald Trump said to you that was supposed to be confidential, and then you go and do this apology tour now. I mean, you've already discredited yourself time and again. There was the whole hand computer fiasco where you made a weird video that you still didn't take down where you talk about cell phones and what we should call them. We're really puzzled. Uh, here at Gingrich Productions, we've spent weeks trying to figure out what do you call this? Now, I know you probably think it's a cell phone. And if I say to audiences, how many of you have a cell phone that takes a picture? 97% of the hands go up. But think about it. It's taking pictures, it's not a cell phone. If it has um, a McDonald's app to tell you where McDonald's is from, based on your GPS location, that's not a cell phone. If you can get Wikipedia or go to Google, that's not a cell phone. If you can watch YouTube, that's not a cell phone. Or Netflix. Think about it. Think about it. Take a second. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. Uh, and now there's this. I made a big boo-boo, 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 boo-boo. Newt, your career is over, buddy. And this is probably the most painful thing you've ever had to do. And it makes you look dumber than you actually are. I mean, you're already a creationist. You already are a conservative. And you're a smug asshole about it, too. And then you have this. Boo-boo. Boo-boo. I mean, Jesus Christ, that's just sad. So I don't really have much to say about this. I just wanted to show this to people because it's embarrassing and you deserve to be embarrassed because not only are you kind of a bad person, you're also just a dick. So uh, yeah, let's all laugh at Newt Gingrich because he is a sad, pathetic little bitch boy of Donald Trump. Sad. Big leak. The end of 2016 is upon us, and tomorrow, by the time you guys see this video, it will be 2017. So what that means is that it is now time for the prestigious Human Support Award Show, where I nominate 
uh, different people and moments from 2016, and I allowed the Humanist Report audience to vote on it. So I took to Twitter, and I allowed my Twitter followers and Humanist Report viewers to vote on four different categories. One of them is Donkey of the Year, which is basically the person who Humanist Report viewers dislike the most. We also have MVP of the Year, which is our favorite progressive. And then we also have two new categories, which is the biggest badass moment of 2016 and the biggest what the fuck moment of 2016 as well. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get to each of these. So the first one is the most badass moment of 2016. So with that being said, there were four nominees that I had. This was the first one. Socialist Senator Bernie Sanders wants America to be a socialist country and even liberals are blasting his agenda. My next guest says socialism is a violation of basic human rights. Thor Halverson of the Human Rights Foundation joins me now with details. Thor, what is your major objection to the way socialism is practiced in some countries? Is it the looting of personal property? Well, of course. But I will say this. Um, I actually made the largest contribution allowable to the campaign of Bernie Sanders. I made a contribution to Bernie Sanders' really? campaign. Yes. I believe the Democrat, because the Democratic frontrunner right now um, is unfortunately someone who has taken millions and millions of dollars from many dictatorships. Now, the second one came from one of my progressive friends, Yane Indigo. Well, there are a few things, I think. I think, first of all, that Hillary Clinton says things that aren't always what she means and aren't what she believes in. And she's demonstrated that. And one of the one of the one of the clearest ways that she's demonstrated that was in 2008 when she was running against um, then Senator Obama um, for president. And she claimed that she was going to uh, that she was against the Colombian Free Trade Agreement and um, and that she was going to be basically lobbying against that and that's what she said publicly during her campaigning but when her emails came out we saw that what she was actually doing um, behind the scenes out of the public eye was actually lobbying for that exact agreement so that's evidence for us that what Hillary Clinton says in order to win the election doesn't really have anything to do with what it is that she's going to actually do if she becomes the president and so mm -hmm. I whatever she's talking about on a platform i just don't trust her and then we had one of my most popular videos ever where i talked about jill stein's appearance on fox news where she made their heads explode that sounds great you know helping millennials getting out of debt in terms of uh, their college uh, debt but how do you pay for that same way we paid for the bankers and then we have this wonderful moment from cornell west Sister Hillary Clinton is the Milli Vanilli of American politics. She lip sings, she gives lip service, but when it comes to policy, who supported crime bill? Who supported the, not just deregulating a market of banks, but also pulled the rug from under welfare? She talks about her work with the Children's Defense Fund way back in the 70s. Doesn't say a word about being a Goldwater girl. Doesn't say a word about supporting a candidate who Martin Luther King called the we had, we can, there's no moral case for Goldwater. He's the most dangerous politician. She's vigorously campaigning. She shows up and gives these wonderful speeches sounding like Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders on the ground getting arrested, marching with Martin. The problem is black voters don't know his history in the way in which they know the symbolic language of Hillary Clinton. But on the ground, she's calling black youth super predators in the 1990. That is the most demeaning, degrading language to our precious young folk sometimes do the wrong thing yes acting gangsters yes we know they got gangsters on wall street 
How many Wall Street executives go to jail? She. Zero. She's too tied to Wall Street with all that big Wall Street money flowing her way, my brother. So out of all of those, uh, my favorite moment is when Thor basically dropped a bombshell on Fox News and talked about how he supported Bernie Sanders when they were expecting him to condemn Bernie Sanders. And you guys agreed. The winner of the most badass moment of 2016 among Humanist Report viewers is... Thor's segment. Now in second place is Cornell West when he called Hillary Clinton the Milli Vanilli of American politics. And then in third place we have my good friend Yane Indigo where she basically put a Hillary Clinton surrogate in her place along with the shill at CNN. And then we have Jill Stein on Fox News where she made their head explode when they thought they were going to be able to own her. So I totally am in agreement with my viewers here. I think that that moment was just, it was phenomenal. And really unexpected because Fox News, they think they're so clever that they can do propaganda, but sometimes it backfires. When you try to do propaganda, you're not going to have a 100% success rate. So congratulations to Thor. You have won the prestigious badass moment of the year among Humanist Report viewers. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. So when it comes to 2016, there were a ton of WTF moments throughout the year, but I narrowed it down to four nominees and asked you guys to decide which was the biggest WTF moment of the year. Now, first and foremost, obviously, Donald Trump winning was a huge what the F moment because everybody thought that Hillary Clinton was inevitable. And even though she made so many strategic and political miscalculations, Nobody could have foreseen that she would have been beaten by a buffoon like Donald Trump. So that's my first nominee. Now, my second nominee is WikiLeaks expose of the DNC when basically they revealed right before the Democratic National Convention what we all suspected, that the DNC did in fact try to sabotage Bernie Sanders' campaign. Now, the next nominee for biggest WTF moment for me comes from Standing Rock, where water protectors were abused by North Dakota State Police. They had their human rights violated, and uh, they were attacked by militarized police officers and mercenaries with guard dogs. They were shot with water in freezing cold weather, and they were arbitrarily arrested. So I think that abuse really makes us take a step back and think, wow, do we really live in a democracy if our First Amendment rights and the rights of Native Americans who are just simply asking for clean drinking water are violated? So that was a pretty big WTF moment for me. And now the third or the fourth and final nominee is this whopper. What the hell? So, the winner of the biggest WTF moment decided by Humanist Report viewers is, of course, Donald Trump winning. I mean, how can you top that? Nobody thought that he would win the Republican primary, let alone the election. So, that definitely takes the cake. So, 48% voted 
that that is the most crazy WTF moment of the year. In second place is the protester abuse uh, when it comes to water protectors at the Standing Rock Reservation. And in third is WikiLeaks expose of the DNC with 21%. And then at 8%, people thought that Ted Cruz eating a booger was the most WTF moment of 2016. But I mean, it is Ted Cruz. So I'm not surprised that that one didn't win because he's just weird in general. So it's probably not the weirdest thing that he did. Uh, so uh, there you have it. Donald Trump winning. Still a shocker, even though we saw it coming. It was still just shocking. I, so I totally agree with the vote here. So when it comes to the Humanist Reports Award for the biggest donkey of 2016, I narrowed it down to four nominees. The first nominee was Donald Trump because uh, he is the president-elect and look at all that he stands for. He has egregious policy positions. He wants to kill the families of ISIS. He wants to repeal Obamacare and put 30 million Americans off of their health insurance. He wants to privatize social, sec social security. And this guy is a greedy oligarch. He conned all of his followers into voting for him. So I had to include him in this list. Now, the second nominee is Hillary Clinton. She ran the worst campaign in American history. She split the Democratic Party, and that division is still there. The wounds haven't healed. She colluded with the DNC to rig the primary against Bernie Sanders. Uh, she snubbed the base, she courted neoconservatives, and she's corrupt. So, because she's responsible for giving us Donald Trump, I had to include her on this list. Now, third, we have Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Do I even need to explain why she's on this list? I don't think I do. Now, fourth and finally, I included the so-called liberal media on this list because even though Republicans like to push the false narrative that the media is liberal and biased against them, really the media is biased in favor of the political establishment. So they're partially responsible for giving us Donald Trump. They killed off Bernie Sanders' campaign in part because they refused to cover him. We also had all the shills in the media for Donald Trump, for Hillary Clinton. So the media, which is supposed to inform us is making us stupider by the day, so I had to include them on this list. So, with that being said, the biggest donkey of the year is Hillary Clinton. Now, I am perfectly okay with this vote. So, with 34%, Hillary Clinton is the biggest donkey of the year. With 27%, uh, the so-called liberal media came in second place. And then we had Debbie Wasserman Schultz in a close third with 26% of the vote. And then Donald Trump came in a distant fourth with only 13% of the vote. I'm okay with Donald Trump not winning this because he's president. We're going to have many opportunities to put him at the top of this list. So, I'm perfectly okay with that. Let's let him screw up first and then we'll put him on this list. But for now, you know, I'm fine with this result. I actually slightly disagree with the Humanist Report audience here. I would have put Debbie Wasserman Schultz at the top of this list only because I think Hillary Clinton just losing is a big enough punishment for her. But I mean, I, I can see why you guys did it. I mean, she ran a terrible campaign and I blame her for President Trump because she lost to an easily beatable opponent. And it's not like you know, she was doing this by herself. She had a team that was advising her. She ignored warnings from Bernie Sanders strategists. So, I mean, Hillary Clinton deserves the Donkey of the Year award because she is not a progressive. She divided the, the Democratic Party, and now we have a President Trump because of her. So, uh, you know, I think that this is a reward that she definitely earned. So it is now time for me to bestow the most prestigious award of 2016 on the Humanist Report audience's pick 
for the MVP of the year. This is the best award you could possibly win. And whoever wins this, I'm sure they're going to be very proud of this <laughs> this award. <laughs> I don't take myself too seriously, if you couldn't tell. So I named four nominees, and I allowed you guys to vote on who you think should be the MVP. So the first nominee, and my first choice, is Bernie Sanders. Because he catalyzed the progressive movement. I mean, there's an entire portion of the electorate that has basically woken up now because of Bernie Sanders. And we now have a really strong portion of the left. I mean, even though the Democratic Party is divided thanks to Hillary Clinton, but we have a strong portion of the left that now is very vocal. And we have a lot of power in the Democratic Party because of Bernie Sanders. So I appreciate what he did there. And of course, we had some rough times. I mean, I criticized Bernie Sanders. But I will say this. Bernie Sanders did what I've been waiting for a politician to do. So I had to put him on this list. Second of all is Jill Stein. I just love Jill Stein. I think she's someone who I really look up to as a progressive champion. And I think that that's going to continue for years to come. I think she potentially could do more good for the country and for the progressive movement than Hillary Clinton can. I mean, Hillary Clinton has this huge platform now and power and wealth. And she's not doing anything right now. But Jill Stein, I mean, she also lost the election. And she's choosing to channel that in a good way, to do good for the country. So I had to put her on this list. My third nominee is Nina Turner. I don't even need to say why I love Nina Turner. I mean, she has been a relentless champion for the progressive cause. She endorsed Bernie Sanders. She was a Bernie surrogate. And I really, really hope that someday I get to call her President Turner. So... I had to put her on the list just because of the inspiration that she is. Now, fourth and finally, I put Cornell West on this list because Cornell is someone who I really view as a principled progressive. So he endorsed Bernie and he refused to fall in line like a lot of other people and support Hillary Clinton. He voted for Jill Stein and he was a surrogate for Jill Stein. I admire that a lot because it's difficult to go against the democratic political establishment uh, and it's difficult to kind of Stand on your own when people are so critical of that. So I really support it. So let's go ahead and get to the results. So coming in at fourth place was Nina Turner. This was a close second to Cornell West with 7% of the vote. So that was very close. Now we have Jill Stein and Bernie Sanders. So these are the top two choices for MVP of the year. And it wasn't even close. Bernie Sanders overwhelmingly won MVP of the year with 78% of the vote. Jill Stein received 9% of the vote. So it's very clear that the Humanist Report audience is feeling the burn. And, you know, we're still going to be feeling the burn all the way through 2017 and 2018 and so on and so forth and forever. Because Bernie Sanders, he is an inspiration and he's still fighting for progressive causes. He lost the election, he swallowed his pride, and now he's bringing people together to fight against Donald Trump. He is leading the resistance. So Bernie Sanders, he deserves this award. He is my MVP and clearly you guys all agree. So I couldn't be happier with the result of this vote. Rather than like looking at little details about 2016 here and there, the biggest thing that we have to take away from this year, that we have to continue to assert over and over again, is that Bernie Sanders would have won. And that's something that I'm going to continue to say, and I'm going to beat that dead horse over and over and over again until there's nothing left, because 
if Bernie Sanders were the Democratic Party's nominee, if they chose not to rig the primary process against him, if they decided not to try to sabotage him and smear him, Bernie Sanders would be the one getting sworn in instead of Donald Trump in January. And it's frustrating to me to think about that because he was so close. He made up a 60-point deficit. He was going up against someone that had the weight of the media and political establishment on her side. And there was a media blackout that really harmed his campaign. But nonetheless, he got 46% of the vote in spite of the bias, in spite of the voting irregularities and potential election fraud even. Bernie Sanders nearly won. And if you could rehold the primaries under fair conditions, I think he would have won. And we all know that if it was Bernie Sanders against Donald Trump, he would have won. And if you just talk to people who voted for Donald Trump, they are anti-establishment people who just wanted to throw a wrench in the system. They wanted to throw a brick through the window of the establishment. And they claim they would have supported Bernie Sanders if he were the nominee. So, I mean, in the end, if you could summarize 2016 and boil it down to just four words, Bernie would have won. Say it loud and say it proud. And we'd be in a completely different position going into 2017. So, uh, yeah, Bernie would have won. Keep saying it, guys, because it's true. Well, that's all I got for you guys. I want to thank you all for tuning in so loyally every single week. I want to send a huge thank you to the members and the Patreon patrons and people who donate to us via PayPal. You guys help the show not only to survive but thrive as well. Uh, and I will see you guys in 2017. By the time most of you see this, it will already be 2017. And just know that as progressives, we've got a huge fight ahead of us because 2017 will be a huge test for us and whether or not uh, we can fight against Donald Trump. And it's going to be tough and it's going to be demoralizing. And quite frankly, it's going to be pretty disturbing a lot of the times. But I think that if we come together and hopefully the Democratic Party gets its act together, then we could be successful at stopping some of his more harmful policies from getting through. So that's all I got for you guys. I'll see you in 2017.